Welcome to Sanctified in Truth with Michael York, a ministry of the Fairview Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky. Sanctified in Truth is a daily podcast for followers of Christ who desire to imitate Him and to dedicate ourselves fully to the plans God has for us by deepening our love and understanding of God's Word. Today's passage is Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, verse 8. As always, I want to encourage you to read the passage before you listen to the podcast. Much of today's reading is genealogy. Admittedly, this is not enthralling reading. And yet the Bible is populated with these lists of names. We have to ask why God would record these lists of names here and elsewhere. The book of Genesis was written thousands of years after these people lived, so it's not like these names were provided so people could reminisce about old friends or heroes. Whenever we see a genealogy in the Bible, we should think about God's faithfulness. These lists of names are testaments to God's faithfulness and His grace over the course of time and through generations. You see, in particular, this list is not about the history of the world. It's about the line of Seth, the one through whom the promise would come. God has promised to send a seed. Cain killed Abel. And so God gave Adam and Eve another son to keep that line going. And the list tracks that. Now, I also want to comment on an issue that's raised in this chapter that has proved puzzling and controversial over the years. The identity of the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. The short answer is, we don't know who the Nephilim are and why they're highlighted here. Some have argued that they're a race of giants that were the product of union between fallen angels and human women. But there are several things we need to keep in mind. First, the word Nephilim means fallen ones. The word is also used in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, where the spies in the land of Canaan describe some of the inhabitants of the land using this word, and then said that these men make them feel like grasshoppers. So, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the translators use the word giant here, and then the translators of the King James carried it over. Now, there's nothing in the text to conclude that these people are giants. And even if it were true in Numbers chapter 13, there's a flood that stands between these two time periods, and the line of those here in Genesis chapter 6 would have died out, and so those in Numbers could not be their descendants. The next mystery that we have to figure out is the identity of the sons of God and the daughters of men. And the phrase often translated sons of God can also be translated as godly sons. That This immediately follows the gifting of Seth, the one Eve called appointed by God, and then the genealogy that traced his descendants. It would seem like the most likely explanation of the identity of these sons of God or godly sons would be that it is a condemnation that the line of Seth is marrying with the line of Cain. This would also fit the goal of the recording of the book of Genesis. Because not only was Moses trying to demonstrate why the flood had to be sent, the book was written to Israel right before they went into Canaan. And this is a warning to the Israelites as they were about to enter into the land about marrying the worshipers of other gods. Nowhere in the text, though, does it say that the Nephilim were the offspring of the godly sons and the daughter of men, just that these things were concurrent. 
Moses identifies the Nephilim because they were emblematic of their times. These were violent men and their violence led them to be thought of as great in their time. We miss the forest for the trees with this passage. Moses did not write this to incite debate for thousands of years or to stump readers. He wrote it to teach something. And what we see in Genesis chapter 6 is that these descendants of Seth, who at one time had been identified as those who called on the name of the Lord, had devolved into a group of people who just did whatever they wanted to and whatever they felt like doing. This is the warning that we must not miss. As we seek to think through the meaning, implications, and applications of this passage, we want to ask ourselves our three basic questions. First, what does this passage tell me about God? Genesis chapter 6 is a doozy. And another puzzling phrase in this chapter is the language that seems unbecoming of God. Moses writes that on seeing the sinfulness of the people, the Lord regretted that he had made man, and it grieved him. Now surely, this isn't claiming that God made a mistake and wanted to correct it, is it? Well, first, the Bible makes it clear that God does not change. God cannot make mistakes, or he is not God. God is perfect. Moses is using here what is called anthropopathic language, that is, language that ascribes human feelings to something that is not human. Language is limited. We understand that. It's not perfect. For me to say that I love my wife, I love my son, and I love a good steak demonstrates the limits. Certainly my feelings about all three are not the same, but that's the language that we use. That's how limited our language is. Moses is writing in a way for us to understand, through the limits of language, just how deeply God was grieved over his sin. Secondly, as we read this passage, if God truly wanted to do over, he could have done that. That he doesn't show that he didn't want to do that. It's not that he's remorseful over his actions. He continues with humanity in fulfillment of his promise to show his faithfulness. That he will spare animals shows his anger is with those made in his image ceasing to fulfill their mandate to image him. The big picture that we cannot miss here is God's abject hatred towards sin. Second question we want to ask is what does this passage reveal to me about myself and about humanity in general? When picturing the widespread wickedness of the world, Moses uses a chilling description. He says of the people, every intention of the thought of their heart was only evil continually. This is not a mistake here or there. This is total wickedness. People don't end up at this place overnight. From the time of Cain to the time of Noah, it's an uncertain period of time, but it's certainly long. God was patient, though. God didn't punish people as soon as they deserved it. He waited. But the people followed a dangerous traje trajectory. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, there are people who call on the name of the Lord, but by Genesis 6, they are people who do what they want to do. Just like the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked Adam and Eve, don't miss the description Moses uses. So these daughters of men looked good to the so-called godly sons, and they let their desires rule their lives instead of their devotion to God ruling them. Whenever we're ruled by our desires, 
we will ultimately be destroyed by our desires. The third question we want to ask is, what does this passage call me to do? Well, two names stand out in this passage because of how they're described. The first is Enoch. It says he walked with God. Twice we're told he walked with God. He lived in such a close fellowship with God that it appears God spared him from death. It says he walked with God and he was not. The other name that stands out is Noah, of whom it is said he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Both of these names are reminders that we live for the pleasure and approval of God. That the legacy we leave may not be the acceptance of the world or their admiration, but the commendation of God. Here are these Nephilim, these men who are renowned and applauded because of their wickedness, because of their violence, but we don't know any of their names. They were celebrated in their time, but history has forgotten them. Noah would have been soundly mocked, but he would have his name recorded thousands of years later because of the favor of God. The same with Enoch. May we strive with every decision to meet the approval of our Lord. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode of Sanctified in Truth. Join us Monday as we'll discuss Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, to Genesis 7, verse 24. May everything you say and everything you do today seek to honor God. And whatever you do, take comfort and know that Jesus has already prayed for you, that you would be sanctified in truth. I'm gonna live so